0: It's a privilege to be up here um, to share this series with you. Um, I, I know it's not, a, it, it's not of coincidence that you are here this morning for all who are here, and I, I do know that as I do uh, this series, there are going to be people also on Guam who are prayerfully considering joining the church plant or who are going to be a part of the church plant who will be listening to these as well. And so... Our series is called, Come and See. We're going to be seeing Jesus in the Gospel of John, and hopefully in the next eight to ten different sermons that we'll be hearing, we would be able to come and see the marvelousness of our God in Christ Jesus. Before we begin, I'm going to start off with a known and loved story that I read to Aria, the Jesus Storybook Bible. The heavens are singing about how great God is, and the skies are shouting out. See what God has made? Day after day, night after night, they are speaking to us. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere. Because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror. To show us what he is like. To help us know him and to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail. The way a red, red poppies grow wild and the way dolphins swim. And God put it into words, too. He wrote it. In a book called the Bible. Some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Sure, the Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think that the Bible is a book of about heroes, Showing people you should copy. The Bible does certainly have heroes in it, but as soon as you'll find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't hero- heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible is not a book of rules. Or a book of heroes, the Bible is most of all a story. And it's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It is the most wonderful fairy tale that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would would depend. This is the child who would one day... But wait. Our story starts where all good stories begin, right at the very beginning. Our, our message today, our main point is going to be this, that Jesus is the central figure of scripture, history, and our story alike. The title of this, of this message that will be, will be given today is the prologue. Prologues are helpful because they set the scene for the story. They lay out its main characters and often hints at the plot of the story. Today, we're going to be looking at three different aspects of our main character today, Jesus, in these three different ways. He is called the Word, and we will see the introduction of this Word. Secondly, in verse 3, we're going to see the creation that this, this Word provides, and lastly, the redemption in this story in verses 4 and 5. So let's look at the Word's introduction. It is quite unique. It says, in the beginning was the Word. I want you to notice the uniqueness of this introduction as compared to other Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew points out first that Jesus... Um, he had a genealogy, and through that genealogy, he was the son of David and also the son of Abraham. In the, Gospel of John, in the Gospel of Mark, the first verse mentions that Jesus is the Son of God and immediately goes into his ministry and miracles. In the Gospel of Luke, as you read the story, and as we've heard from Pastor Aaron, it gives the story from a historical narrative account. The name Jesus is not mentioned until the middle of the chapter where it says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bury a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 30. But John, the Gospel of John does not accentuate or highlight the, that he is the Son of God or the Son of Man or the fact that he is Lord or Savior. The Gospel of John portrays Jesus as the Word. You see, he is not portraying his humanity. He is portraying something even deeper than that. His deity. Even Moses in Our first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John's beginning starts even before that beginning. So how should we see Jesus? We should see him as the main character. We should see him as the central figure of eternity. He is no mere mortal like us. He was always there in the beginning before the creation of the world he was there in this introduction we also see the title the name the word let us take a little uh, closer look at this the word was with god and the word was god this explains the nature and identity of christ but notice that the name Jesus is not used until when in, in, in the chapter? Not until, chap, not until verse 17. Interesting. In this, John is emphasizing that before Jesus became a human, he was the eternal God. It says that he was with God and he was God. This title is significant in the Old Testament. Let me give you a few examples. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. What about Psalm 107 verse 20? He sent his word to heal the children of Israel. He rescued them from their traps. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11 says, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please and will, and will prosper in what? What? I send it to do. Thirdly, we have to look at the relationship of this word with God. What is that relationship that we see? It says that the word was with God and the word was God. Even the mere language of this, with God and was God, explains something about Christ's relationship with God. Tells us two different things. Number one, that Jesus is distinct from God the Father. Yet, it also explains how Jesus is also equal with God the Father. Many of our church fathers have, have written numbers and numbers of different articles and numbers of, of different books on this particular point. But let me just point our attention to what it says in the Gospel of John later, in John 17, verse 21. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father, and he says this about this relationship. Father, may they all be one as you, Father, or as you, Father, are, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Father, I want those who, have, who you have, been, have given to me be with me, where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation what i want you to see in that passage is the relationship that the son and the father have together even before in the beginning god cre- he created the world you see jesus came to earth one of the ways that you could see it is he came to earth to be on a mission on a mission to invite us into a relationship with him and the Father. One that he has enjoyed for all eternity. This eternal joy, this eternal life, this eternal relationship with him. If you guys are any movie buffs, um, I knew a person who uh, who acted in one of the movies. I don't know if you guys know the the Avengers, the first Avengers. I actually know someone who who played in in that uh, in that film. Uh, but for the sake, I don't want you guys on your on, on, on your phone looking at Google at her name or, or anything. Uh, but for the sake of the story, we'll call her Anna. <laughs> and Anna, uh, she didn't have a, a a big part. She was in the scene where um, there's an alien invasion, and she's in New York, and she's running away from the from the aliens, and so it's like a, probably like a two-second scene, <laughs> but I want you to imagine for a second that Anna uh, brought her whole family, brought all her friends into a movie theater, and she was excited to explain uh, her her line, and her, her the, what, what she did, and all the different peop- uh, actors that she got to see, the, the people that uh, we see who, who play in a number of different movies. And as they're watching this movie, it stops at that scene where she's in, that two-second scene where she is there, and she, she stops and she explains all that went on and all the things that, how, how she got the part, and and explains all these different details about this, this story. You know, the irony of, of this is the way that she talks about the story isn't necessarily the proportion of which the story gives to her. This blockbuster film is an amazing storyline with impressive special effects, and, and it's not about Anna. She is a mere small part in the story. So it is like us when we talk about and, and think about our lives as well we often have this me-centric mentality, this perspective that we are out for number one, but we forget that there's a larger story at play. We are not the main point of history. We are not even the main point of life's story. We are merely playing a part. Life is not about you. (laughs) This should be a freeing truth. It should be freeing, first of all, because it's a gracious act of God to show us that we must reorient our lives around something outside of ourselves. There's something that needs to be prioritized outside of this me-centric mentality. Knowing that um, life is not about us also helps us to realize that we are not the ones that ultimately have to be control. We don't have to be God because God is God. That's the reason why we could sleep at night is because we don't have to be in charge of the things that he's already working in our waiting. He's waiting or he's working in our rest and we could trust in him that he is working and he is governing our lives every small detail so that we can rest in him first we see this introduction that's given but secondly we see that his relationship not only with the father but with his creation what is this relationship that we see it says all things were created through him and this makes jesus not only the main character of the story It makes him the executive producer and the stage designer of this story if you think about a movie that's put together and an executive uh, producer he's the one who puts all the funds toward a project and he's the one who uh pieces all the different characters all together and then you got the stage designer who uh who creates this beautiful stage you see jesus is not only the main character of the story this central figure, he is also the producer and the stage right, and the stage designer of this story. We see this theme in the Old Testament where it talks about, old, uh, about God and God alone being this creator, this producer, this author. Let me just give you one example from Isaiah 45, verse 18. It says, For this is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, The God who formed the earth and made it, the one who established it, he did not create it to be a wasteland, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Interestingly, the New Testament authors take take this theme and attribute the title and status of creator to Jesus. Let me give you one example, Colossians 1.16. For everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. So let me put this argument together for us. If the Old Testament authors attributed this creator or this producer-author to God and God alone, and the New Testament authors attribute that Jesus is the producer and the author of this story, then we must realize that Jesus is not only the main character of the story, he is God. He is the divine producer and stage right of our story. We also see the distinctness of, of Christ's In relationship to his creation the second half talks about what we we just talked about from an an opposite angle it says apart from him not one thing was created that has been created now at dinner at the dinner table um me me and aria we we do our catechisms which means that we just i just ask her a, a bunch of different questions like um who made you And she would say, God, why did God make you? Um, For his own glory. But soon came the day where instead of me catechizing her, she was catechizing me. But daddy, who made God? How would you answer a three or four year old (laughs) when they ask that question? Surely you would take him to verse three and say, apart from him was not anything made that was created. Right? (laughs) Well, I think one of the ways that we could share and express this to a three- or four-year-old is by playing a little game with them. Let's say we, we put this line in the middle of the room, and, the one, and on the one side is everything that is created. And then the other side of the room, you have everything that is not created but exists. And then as I play this game with Aria, what about dolphins, what about God? <laughs> What about um, what about the beach? What about Jesus? And you start realizing that every different object that you name, and as you as you name all these different things, you start realizing that there are is a certain uh, type of being in this category, and it's God and God alone. Jesus is in this category. Therefore, Jesus is God, the non-created one. There are many things in creation today that we could look at, but I just want to, for a moment, take a look at our eye. Think about this intricate, complex organism that God has made and its incredible tissues and structures from the cornea to the iris to the pupil to the lens, the retina, and also our optic nerves these things work together to capture light and convert it into images that our brain can compute. Our eye is amazing. It has the ability to adjust our lens to different light conditions. It focuses on different um, objects um, from different distances and even corrects our visual distortions. If if one eye is worse than the other, when you look at with both eyes, it, it corrects That abnormality in, in your sight. Christ, our Creator, put our eye together with much attention and detail. But how much more does He care intricately about the woven details of our lives? He created you with the personality that you have, with the gifts and talents and the abilities. Is all come, come from a loving, uh, loving Creator. Yet all the intricacies of our story, He is He is there. He is dis, or He is distinct from His creation, but He is with His creation. He is there with you in the times of joy. He is there with you in the times of trial, pain, and suffering because He cares, and values. And knows every aspect of your life. And as Peter says, we can put our trust in a faithful Creator. Lastly, we see the Word and His redemption in this story. This leads us to our, our last question. Um, it, it actually leads to the a little bit to the plot and a little bit to the problem that we see in the story and in life is in general. It says in him was life. The problem is that everyone will one day face death. There's an the NFL player by the name of Damar Hamlin, a 24-year-old defensive back who played for the Buffalo Bills, and this this Monday, as he was hit by one of um, the other Uh, the other team's players he went into a cardiac arrest they had to cancel the 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 game this 24 year old was in this coma they they resuscitated him and he was able to get a heartbeat back and um, be able to breathe uh, through through tubes and and machines and he saw people who would never pray before then become believers and and in, in prayer They prayed for this young man and in the middle of the week, uh, they were able to take off the life support and he was able to finally speak. And one of the first questions that he asked the doctor was, who won the game? (laughs) And the doctor said, you won the game. (laughs) You won the game of life. It's, It's things like this, these unexpected times where Heart stop, like that we see in Damar's situation, where he is at the top of his game, he is healthy, he is in the in peak condition, he is in the peak of what of his life. Yet, Damar Hamlin flirted with death. Why do people die? In the book of, of Genesis, it talks about. How God created everything and how he created man and placed man in the garden of Eden. The man's name was Adam and his wife's name was Eve. And they were given an opportunity to choose between serving and obeying God or following after their own ways. And Adam eventually chose to disobey God by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God commanded them not to do. As a result, this disobedience led to Adam's demise and all of humanity as they are now separated from this life source in God. Because of that sin and our particular sins, we are subject to die. We don't die right away, but we are slowly dying physically and spiritually. Death is a scary thing for many people. It is a universal reality that everyone will face. We feel it in the slow digression and decay of our own bodies. Every day, we take a step closer and closer to death's doorstep. Death is despair because it, it means that it is a loss of a relationship, it is a loss of opportunity and, and time with, with those that we love. Expectations not met. It means no longer being able to experience the joys and challenges and adventures that life has to offer. Oftentimes death is difficult to accept because we know or people believe that we only live once. But the scripture says that it is appointed for man once to live and after this the judgment. But herein is the gospel that the, the message of the gospel is that Jesus gives life. The message of, of life in the gospel of John is seen 36 different times. Let me just give you a few. John chapter 10 verse 10. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. John fourteen six, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And of course, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him Should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this eternal life that God gives is more than just merely causing us to live again or sustaining our lives, or in Demar's situation. It it means more than just sustaining our breath or keeping our heart beating or allowing us to live a longer time than we ought. Eternal life is a reconnection with the author and giver of that life. Jesus is the one who is on this rescue mission to restore life to the four corners of the earth. In in essence, it is to be born again. Jesus is on a rebirthing, life-giving mission to give of himself so that we may have life. Not only do we have the problem of, of sin and death, but there is another issue as well as, as it is alluded to in verse 4. It says, and that life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness. I think this is actually the the scarier problem of the two because we have sung about the gospel, we are hearing about the gospel, yet there, we, can, we could interact with it in such a way where it doesn't touch our lives. And that tragedy is called spiritual blindness. It prevents us from seeing and experiencing the fullness of life that we can have in, in God. Spiritual blindness helps us or aids our, our blindness to not be able to see the existence of God or the nature of our sin. Or the detriment that our sin has in our relationship toward God and others. An example of this is um, I love listening to Christmas, uh, Christmas uh, songs. And one of my favorite uh, artists or one of my favorite uh, uh, singers is Pentatonix. And it's really awesome how they're able to sing with no instruments except their voices singing in all these different parts and all these different beats. But every time I hear them sing a Christian, uh, a Christmas or a Christian song, something in me just like feels despair for them. I'm saddened in the reality that they're singing all these beautiful truths of God and even about salvation. In their music, in their musical ability, they're able to enjoy the art and the, mu- and the music, and they're able to bring emotion into the songs that make our hearts weep, yet it doesn't affect their lives. I think this type of spiritual blindness is seen also in our churches as well, amongst even Christians. It's possible for us to hear the word of the Lord articulated, for us to hear um, prayers and people read and sing together yet not be affected inwardly of what those life-giving truths are giving to us. I'm saddened by the reality that me, Josh, and Aaron know a lot of pastors who are better communicators, better um, gospel preachers, and are able to effectively share deep theological truths, yet they have shipwrecked their lives. They have gone away from Christ to find life in other things. We are all spiritually blind, and we need to be careful of it. The amazing thing about the gospel is this, that Jesus is the light of the world and through his sinless life and death and resurrection, he has brought spiritual illumination. Through death, through hell, through sin, through that darkness, he illumines this with his light of truth and grace. Not only does he illuminate, but he allows us to be a part of it. Where it says in another point, point of scripture, out of dark, we are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are now the children of light to be on this light-giving, life-giving mission. And so I want you to think here in this room, who are those in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, and in your places of community that God wants you to be that agent of light To be the children of light that shares the message and hope of Jesus. As we look around, this world is very dark. We look at society and we see that much of society is opposed to the children of light and our message. It doesn't take much for us to see even the darkness, even within our own homes. And even as we look into the mirrors the sins and, and struggles that we all face. That darkness has affected us not only spiritually, but maybe physically as well and psychologically. We feel these aches and pains. We, we, we struggle with loss of life or expectations that we have with other people. And yet even some of us in this room can not even articulate the emotions that are in their hearts. As they battle heartache, anxiety, and depression. It makes you ask the question Will this darkness ever be lifted? I wanna direct our hope in this last verse, which says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. One day, darkness will be lifted, and the grace of God as we battle. In this battle of light versus darkness, Christ will rise as the sun, and as he rises higher and higher, everything will become brighter and brighter. One day the sun will rise, and darkness will have no choice but to flee. There will be no pain, no heartache, and no sin any longer, only the light. Come and see Jesus with me. Let's pray together. Jesus, you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes into the Father except through you. Thank you for your gospel of life and light. And thank you for taking us from darkness and bringing us into your kingdom of light where we can continue to spread this mission Lord, to bring light and be life-giving agents to those who are around us. Jesus, be with us as we think upon these truths and as we sing of your word. In Christ may I pray. Amen.